neglecting a podcast for a whole six weeks was absolutely not my intent, but we are back for now. Welcome to a brand new edition to Get Right To It with your boy Chris Stevens. I am, of course, Chris Stevens, the uh, host and creator, producer of this particular podcast. Hopefully you all have been doing well out there. Hopefully your spring and summer have gotten off to a good start. First episode since the beginning of May, and like I said, I didn't intend for an extended hiatus. I didn't intend for a hiatus at all, but Life started life, and I'll talk about that as we get towards the close of this episode. We got so much to get into. You know, I want to talk about the NBA draft, the BET Awards, a little bit about that fake coup that happened over in Russia over the weekend, and so much more. This is your first time tuning in. I promise I'm going to be a lot more active, at least try to be. Get Right To It is a podcast hosted by myself, Chris Stevens, a writer, a sports journalist of over 21 years who also dabbles in the creative art of novel writing. I write romance. I write coming of age fiction, a little bit of mystery. And basically it all features black hair. I wanted to be able to talk about, you know, everything outside of what I normally do as a sports journalist and even as a writer, but I want to get back into the sports aspect of it as well, since I don't have a sports podcast anymore. I had one briefly, wasn't able to maintain it because of different issues, as I mentioned before, but we'll talk more about that when the time is right. So without further delay, let's get right to it. NBA draft, of course, happened last Thursday. Not too much, not too many surprises. Actually, there were a lot of trades, but mostly everybody went where they were scheduled to go. Most important draft pick of all, of course, was Victor Wimbanyama, the seven foot five French phenom who is just 19 years old. Went number one overall, as expected, to the San Antonio Spurs. And the Spurs, they just have the best luck when it comes to this lottery thing. 36 years ago, they drafted uh, David Robinson, of course, the Admiral, who went on to a long career, Hall of Fame career. Won a couple championships. 1997, they draft Tim Duncan, of course, who was going going to go down as one of the best big men to ever play the game. And now, 2023, you get this French kid that even LeBron James says is the real deal. So when you take that into account, you know, everything that happens after that is kind of anticlimactic to a degree. But there is one thing that was not particularly anticlimactic, of course, and that was the Charlotte Hornets at number two drafting a shooting forward Brandon Miller from Alabama. And Brandon Miller, he's a talented ball player, but he comes with some baggage, as we all know. And people don't like to be reminded of that baggage because there was a big to-ding to-do on social media regarding Malika Andrews, of course, who was anchoring uh, ESPN's draft coverage that uh, Thursday night, uh, about you know her mentioning the uh, case. That, you know, Brandon Miller figured prominently in. If you're not familiar, one of his teammates shot and killed a young woman after the young woman refused his advances. And with what gun? A gun that Brandon Miller bought to the scene. So here's the thing. Brandon Miller did not shoot and kill this young woman, this mother. This mother I think the young lady had either one kid or two. Either way, that child or those children are going to be without their mother. And the young lady was only 23 years old. It's an absolute tragedy. And we'll get more into why. Men really need to, you know, look at themselves as the monsters that women claim that we are. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But people getting on Malika Andrews about bringing it up, it's like she's a journalist. And journalism is not what you want it to be. Journalism is what you don't like. It's what you don't want to hear. It's what you didn't know. It's what you should know. And Malika Andrews was fulfilling her journalistic duties And ESPN was right to bring up the story because it's an important story. You want to know that, especially if you're a professional sports franchise 
potentially investing millions and millions of dollars into somebody, you want to know what they're doing in their spare time. Look at the Memphis Grizzlies. They didn't figure out that John Moran was, you know, running around doing NBA young boy impersonations until it was too late. Now he sat down for 25 games at the beginning of next season. But you want to know if you're a professional sports franchise putting money into somebody, what you're getting. And what you're getting at the very minimum is a kid who makes terrible decisions. Yes, the friend, well, the accused murder, well, I don't even know. I don't even need. I mean, well, you got to call it an accused murderer until there's a conviction. That's just the way journalistic law goes. But the accused murderer, he asked Miller for the gun. Miller brought the gun. He allegedly shoots and kills this young woman who says no. And it's on from there. Like, Brandon Miller is very, very lucky that he did not get charged as an accessory. Because while he didn't pull the trigger, he still supplied the weapon. Any other... Human being that doesn't, you know, that is a six foot eight that can shoot and stands to make millions of dollars is definitely getting charged as an accessory to murder at the very least. But since, you know, things are different for people of means, people who are, well, I'm not saying Miller comes from a family of means, but Alabama definitely, university definitely wrapped his arms around him. And that's, you know, another sickening thought that, you know, as long as you can shoot, a, as long as you can shoot a ball or score a touchdown that, you know, these folks will absolve any piss poor behavior that you have. It was just really stupid for people to jump on Malika Andrews for doing her job. And the thing that bothers me the most about it is it literally is a witch hunt because Malika Andrews, you know, if you're not familiar with her background, she uh, comes from a, a mixed race family. Her father's black. Her mother's white. She is, apparently is, a, is dating a white gentleman. So now Hotep Nation and all of, you know, Kevin Samuel's bastard children are coming at this woman saying that, you know, she's trying to take the black man down. She hates black men. Blah, 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 blah. And my thing is, even if her dating preferences are not what you want them to be, not that you had a shot with her anyway, why are you trying to, you know, come down on her for doing what journalists have done since the beginning of time? Like, people tend to forget that guys used to get asked about their past all the time in the sports world. You know, people just, you know, kind of sort of swept it under the rug. And I think that's something that we need to kind of bring back. You know, for a lot of people, not just, you know, black ball players, obviously, but, you know, white players get in trouble, too. You know, Tom Brady, you know, he has, you know, he retired because he unretired and had a sucky season. Then retired again because he just couldn't be a good husband and father. Well, I mean, maybe he's a good father. He definitely wasn't a good husband because Giselle Bunch said peace. As soon as that man said he was going back to football, she said, you can go back to football, but I ain't going to be it. <laughs> you know, that should tell you something. And. Even though that's not a crime, it's still very much a point of public interest because at what point did Tom Brady decide to say, okay, you know what? I've won more Super Bowl rings than any other player, forget quarterback, player in NFL history. I have all the passing records. I have the admiration of all most sports fans. What more do I need? Why not go home and be and work on my marriage and be a, and you know be more present in my children's lives? He chose to come back for a season that was absolutely crappy and lost his wife in the process. People talking about that, and it's a point of interest. It's something that, you know, even though it isn't on the field, it still relates to somebody who was at his best on the field or on the court. And the same thing goes for Brandon Miller. And people are going to say, oh, he was 19 years old. Youth is no excuse for ignorance. It's just not. Like, you know what a gun can do. We all know what guns can do from a very early age. And when somebody asks you to bring a gun, they're not bringing it for a social call. They're not bringing it to show off to their friends. They're not bringing it to say, 
oh, wow, look at this. You know, I could do some damage with this motherfucker. Because that's what he meant. That's what that dude intended to do. And he did. He killed the young woman. And that's what bothers me the most about this whole situation, that people tend to forget that, you know, black women and women in general have said that men are monsters, you know, walking among us for many, many years. Now we're starting to see it because most recent news that, you know, caught my attention was there was a 14 year old young man in Chicago that shot and killed a, a dude that was beating up on his mom. Now, you know, for all of this stuff about, you know, black men idolizing their mothers and, you know, wanting to step up for them and saying that, you know, the women that they date are nothing like their mom. And then for them to turn on a black woman who was being beat up. Like, I don't know if y'all saw the video, but this dude was literally punching on this woman like it was like he was prime Mike Tyson. And her son responded the only way possible because there was like four or five, six dudes in that restaurant that didn't blink. They all got out of the way. They all got out of the way while this dude was punching on this woman. So young boy did what he had to do. He pulled out the strap. And now whoever, you know, that dude that beating up on his mom, he down there chilling with Ronald Reagan, Adolf Hitler, and the rest of them mugs. It is what it is, man. You can't keep being nasty to people. You can't keep being violent to people without some sort of consequences or repercussions. That's not how life works. Not everybody's just going to sit by and stand by and just watch you terrorize people and beat up on women and beat up on children. Somebody is going to either bust your ass or bust a cat in your ass. It is what it is. You know, you can't just be an asshole. You can't be a violent person. I expect it to come back to you because karma doesn't work that way. Everything comes around at one point or another. That's what really irritated me about, you know, the whole Malika Andrews, you know, backlash. I mean, here's the thing. People are so invested in, I'll just say black men and certain women who, you know, feminists like to call pick me's. I don't know why certain women have decided to side with men when men will turn on you like that. I am a man. Trust. Me. I know. And people are just like, wow, you know, why are we, you know, defending this behavior? You know, why are people defending this behavior? It's so strange because black men have shown in mass that it's not freedom for their people that they want. It's power. Like people literally got mad because Umar Johnson and granted Umar Johnson is not the best example of leadership, I'll say, but he had a great point about community is dead because black men not being mentors, not being community leaders, not being community pillars, and black men turned on Umar Johnson. Umar Johnson! Somebody who black men have closely identified with for years, but the moment that man brings up the accountability, dude started freaking out, and that just absolutely boggles the mind to me. If Umar isn't safe, then who is? <laughs> Pretty much like black men, we really have to get our shit together in terms of how we treat our women, how we treat our children, how we treat our community. Because if y'all are going to get pissed off because a black woman journalist was doing her job, you're going to get pissed off because the young boy defended his mom and, you know, pretty much saved her life. Even if he had to take someone else's in the process, we're a lost cause. And it's not fun to be a lost cause when white people already think the bare minimum. I mean, well, it really doesn't matter what white people think of us anyway. But the fact of the matter is that white people want to see us extinguished and they're not even going to have to do the heavy lifting because we're already doing it to ourselves. Get it together, brothers. Get it together. I actually said I was going to talk about that Russian coup, but the more I think about that shit, that shit was a pump fake, man. It was the finger poke of doom for politicians. <laughs> if you're not familiar with the finger poke of doom, it actually 
is something that somebody needs to do a documentary about from, from professional wrestling. It was January 4th, 1999. Uh, WWE had already taped their episode of Monday Night Raw. Somehow, WCW got a hold of the rumor mill or whatever that Mick Foley was going to beat The Rock for the world for WWE's championship. And uh, Tony Giovanni linked it on the WCW episode of Monday Night Show that was live and said, yeah, that'll put butts in the seats. Turned out to be the end of the Monday Night Wars as we knew it, because everybody switched from WCW Nitro to Monday Night Raw to watch Mick Foley beat The Rock for the championship. Of course, with some help from the great Stone Cold Steve Austin. And the finger poke of doom also happened on January 4th, 1999 on Monday Nitro. If you're not familiar, um, Kevin Nash was the uh, world champion at the time. And the NWO had allegedly split up. And Hogan and Nash were going to um, have the main event of Monday Nitro, and this was going to be like the literal end, like the NWO was just going to split down the uh, split down the seams, it was going to be the end of the line, because it was Nash leading the black and the red, of course, which was the Wolfpack, and of course, Hogan was just, you know, NWO Hollywood, and Nash and Hogan are staring off in the ring, and Hogan pokes Nash in the chest, Nash flops down, Hogan gets on top of him, ref counts one, two, three, Hogan's the new champion, NWO comes back out. It was a hoax. It was a fraud. It was all together. It was like, you know, that's when everybody got tired of the NWO storyline for WCW. And that pretty much spelled the end of WCW because about two years later, Vince McMahon brought out World Championship Wrestling. So why I'm comparing a Russian coup to the finger poke of doom is because it was a pump fake. Like this dude, uh, Warner or, or whatever his name is, leading the Warner group, whatever. That fool got literally about Halfway down the street, <laughs> to rush to Vladimir Putin's crib and said, "You know what? We're good. You know what? We ain't gonna do this coup. I mean, we just we just bullshit. We gonna go back to the crib." <laughs> Putin is like, "All right, I'm coming to your crib." So now it's like, "What was all that for?" It was pointless. It was absolutely pointless. And I said I wasn't gonna talk too much about it, but I think two minutes is enough. Yeah, I mean, it's silly. I mean, it was just something that you know people were really like invested in over the weekend because everybody thought this was going to be the end of the line for the world's most evil dictator. But in the end of the day, it was just people that are just being, you know, pump faking and prank phone calls like Nephew Tommy on the Steve Harvey Morning Show. This is Nephew Tommy from the Steve Harvey Morning Show. You just got pranked by the Warner Group. That's basically what it boils down to. And it was stupid. Stupid, stupid, stupid. What I would like to talk about how is it ever to quote Richard Pryor in his, uh, Preacher voice, how is an ever? I would like to talk about what BET likes to call culture's biggest night, and that is the BET Awards that, of course, took place this past Sunday, June 25th, 2023, in Los Angeles, California. Now, it's important to note that we didn't get to talk about this when it was starting, but there is a writer's strike going on right now, and that is why so many live programs and even scripted ones are struggling. Because the writers have gone on strike because they don't feel they're being compensated properly for being writers. Which is true because all the great shows that you watch, whether it's Abbott Elementary, House of Cards, or Succession, or if it's something live like the Oscars or the NBA playoffs or whatever, all of that stuff has writers. All of that stuff has scripts. All of those people have showrunners. All of those people behind the scenes Make this shit go. And if they're not making it go enough to where they can live comfortably when they should be, because these 
things that they're writing, scripting, producing, and all of that are bringing in millions and billions of dollars. You want your money. And they're absolutely right. So the BET Awards went without a host because Taraji P. Henson said she was in solidarity with the writers. Um, one of my favorite Twitter followers, shout out to Courtney from uh, New Orleans, uh, her soul rights on Twitter. She cracked me up. She said, won't God do it when somebody said that Taraji wasn't showing up at, um, in terms of you know, supporting the writers. <laughs> but yeah, there was no host. There was barely a teleprompter. We'll talk more about the teleprompter issue in a second. Um, and it was, I mean, the show actually ran pretty good, except the audio for the pre-show was god-awful. I don't know who was, you know, popping popcorn on the microphones or whatever, whoever was in charge of the audio, but that audio for the pre-show was piss poor. The actual show was better in terms of audio. There were still a lot of dead spots where people were like, you know, running around in different spots on stage because, of course, you didn't have a host to kill the time while people were setting up stages and different things of that nature. But overall, it was a decent show. Uh, Buster Rhymes, one of the more influential figures in the history of this thing called rap, um, got a Lifetime Achievement Award. He talked about, you know, his journey from leaders of the new school, how he had to bribe producers and you know, engineers and other rappers were weed to give him a chance because, you know, he couldn't just go back to the streets. And, you know, now that he had a young son, and of course, now he's had six kids and now he's able to provide for all of them because he's made so much money being a influential rapper that at 51 years old, you still can't fuck with Buster from a breath control standpoint. He had the greatest videos ever. Put your hands where my eyes can see is a video that you have to watch at least once a week just to, you know, reset your brain if you're a creative because it's just like so off the wall. It was ahead of its time for 1997 and it's still is beating the ass of every music video put out in 2023. Like, Bustin' Hype Williams created something absolutely special with the Put Your Hands Where My Eyes Can See video. It's absolutely tremendous. And um, he talked about community. He talked about, you know, we got to stop beefing. Let me give you the jewels. Chuck D, give me the jewels. I sat in Big Daddy Kane's crib in the Jamaica Estates. I got the jewels, and I want to give the jewels to you. I want to show you love. That's a horrible Buster Rhymes impersonation because I don't have the gravel and I don't have the bass, but you get the picture. If you've heard Buster Rhymes speak, you hear everything I said. You just say, you just pretend you heard it in his voice. <laughs> but Buster Rhymes, you know, he went out and gave a great performance. You know, the 50th anniversary of hip hop, you know, a lot of that was pretty cool. The best part for me was seeing Patra again. Like, there are certain people, like, in your sexuality journey and your sexual preference journey that you remember that made you feel like like you're like if you're a straight person if you're a straight woman you remember the man that turns you know that turns you on the if you're a straight man you remember the woman that turns you on if you're gay bisexual whatever you remember the person of the same sex that stirred those feelings in you patra was a woman that got 11 year old chris stevens motor up and running please believe it and to see her 30 years later, still looking as good as ever, you know, like a bag of money. It's like, oh, Lord. I mean, she may not be whining and dining. I mean, she was the queen of the butterfly for the longest time. And I mean, you know, granted, you know, everybody's needs go at some point. You know, Patrick may not have the needs of Megan Thee Stallion anymore, but she still look fine as hell, boy. She looked good on that stage last night, buddy. The, uh, the Southern hip hop tributes sprinkled throughout were pretty good. Like Jeezy doing his... um. Dano Remix verse really did it for me because that Dano Remix, rest in peace, Shorty Low, 15 years later, still one of my favorite remixes ever. Ever. You got Shorty Low setting it off. 
Then you got Jeezy coming in. Then um, who was after Jeezy? I can't remember who was after Jeezy. Was it Plies? Yeah, it was Plies. Because one of that many people on there was Shardy Low, Jeezy, Plies, and then Lil Wayne. And that remix literally was one of the favorites of 2008 and is still a favorite of mine in 2023. It took me a minute to figure out who else was on that remix because I thought it was somebody else other than Plies. thought it was somebody in between Jeezy and Plies, but it wasn't. It was Shardy Low, Jeezy, Plies, and Wayne. That was it. But yeah, the entire show, for the most part, you know, it was a tribute to hip-hop, so we didn't get much from an R&B feel. But I hope people took notice of the one R&B act that literally just took everyone's breath away. And that is Coco Jones. She did her song, I See You, which I have since added to my Grown Folks Time playlist. <laughs> you know, maybe one day I will get to use that playlist again. I'm not exactly sure when that day will come, but hopefully I will get to use that song. But yeah, uh, Coco Jones talked about how BET and black folks wrapped their arms around her because Disney Channel kind of, you know, had her in the lurch. And of course, she plays the um, current Hillary Banks on uh, the uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reboot on uh, Peacock, simply called Bel-Air. She's a gorgeous young woman and she can sing. Like, sometimes you rarely get a mix of the two when it comes to men and women. I'm not trying, because I'm not one of those dudes who is any under any delusions of grandeur about my own physical appearance. Like if somebody else finds me attractive, I'll let them tell it. I don't think of myself as being like a sex symbol. <laughs> but, you know, so I don't want anybody to think like, you know, I'm just like harshly judging women because that's not what I'm doing. I'm just saying that Coco Jones is bringing back that 90s package, that Whitney pack. You know what I'm saying? That, um, that Whitney, that Shaka Khan, that Phyllis Hyman, that... Oh my God, beautiful women that could blow, you know, just women that you would look at and want to hear and you get caught up in both at the same time. Coco Jones is bringing that energy back and it's beautiful to watch and hopefully more people follow in her footsteps. Um, what else was important about the show? I think that Olada, <laughs> that girl, like, I don't understand why she took one shoe off. Like, if you want to be a country diva all the way, girlfriend, be country all the way. Take both your shoes off. I ain't going to lie to you. There's something about women being comfortable and what they do that just absolutely does it for me. Like, if a woman is um, cool walking around barefoot, I mean, if, she, if a woman just walk around barefoot cooking in my kitchen, I'm straight. You know, I'm happy. You know, like, but, you know, it was fun. to, And it was also cool that she shouted out women who were, aside from her, in the best female rap category, but also the ones she felt should have been in it. Like giving those women a plug to go like okay, go listen to Dochi, go listen to Flo Millie, you know, go listen to this one and that one. And I think that's what, you know, some of these rap patriarchs and some of these gatekeepers are so afraid of is that these women have more to say and are doing it better than the men. Because um I'll never forget uh young baby Tate, who actually is the daughter of Dion Ferris. If you're not familiar with Dion Ferris, she was originally in the rest of development. And she had one of the best songs on one of the best um, movie soundtracks of all time, Love Jones, Hopeless. Um, Deion Ferris' daughter, Young Baby Tate, saw that Young Bird, or Hitmaker as he calls himself now, you know, was talking about how women rap is whack because all they do is rap about, you know, they, they pussy or whatever. And then uh, Baby Tate dropped a, a track called Pussy Rapper. She said, half these, I don't want to get too personal, but half these rap niggas can't rap unless they got a perk involved. And <laughs> talking about you couldn't pull a bitch even if the bitch was a service dog. That line still cracks me up. But a lot of these young women rappers, yes, they rap about sex, but 
men have been rapping about sex forever. I mean, we talking about ain't no this is the same genre they gave us. Ain't no fun if the homies can't have none. KRS made a song called you know, talking about condoms. The J, the I, the M, the M, the Y, the J, the I, the M is Jimmy. Word up is Jimmy. Remember, you're never too old. Jimmy is wearing a hat. You know, that was 35 years ago <laughs> when, when Jimmy came out. Like, I was six years old. I, you know, I think I may have asked my older sister and my mom what a Jimmy was at that time, and they ignored the hell out of me. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not like rappers haven't been rapping about sex. I mean, Kumo cool D's first solo hit was Go See the Doctor about getting burnt. But the moment a woman starts rapping about what she likes about sex and what men can do better about sex, or even if they just saying, forget men altogether, let me hook up with my girlfriend type of sex. These dudes get up in arms. It's crazy. But I like listening to them. Like, I'm a fan of Megan Thee Stallion. I like Cardi B. Lotto can flip. Like, I don't know if anybody's writing for her. Not that it really matters because I mean, we've already been able to suspend <laughs> disbelief when it comes to men being written for by other men. You know, we already know that Drake has writers. We know that uh, Wayne's association with Gilly the Kid is just not because they cool or whatever. <laughs> so, I mean, listen, whatever. You know, let these women rap about what they want to rap about, and they're good at it. I mean, it's not like, you know, well, there is one glaring exception, and that is Ice Spice. I said it on Twitter on the night of the awards, and I didn't get much Push back from it, thank God, because stand groups on Twitter are so unbearable. You say one thing about their favorite, and they calling you all kinds of uglies, and they going to dox you and all of that bullshit. I'll tell you something. You can dox me if you want to. This house is protected, and I believe it at that. That being said, you know, um, Ice Spice, I called her the Pillow Princess of Rap. And if you are not familiar with the Pillow Princess, I will let you Google it. And then you can say, oh, Chris, you are dead wrong. You can say, oh, Chris, you're hilarious and you're correct. Either way, I'm cool with it. Like that woman is low effort in everything that she does. When all the tributes were going on, this heifer was sitting on her butt, on her phone, while everybody else was up and dancing. It's like, yo, you have, like, do you not understand that a lot of these men and these women are on stage, made it possible for you to be there? Like, why are you acting like this? Like, it's mind-boggling. That's why I called her the Pillow Princess of Rap, and I stand by it. Nothing about her is redeeming to me from a rap standpoint. I mean, yes, she looks good, but got to do something other than look good. There are a lot of good-looking female rappers out there that, you're, that are getting it done. And Ice Spice needs to join them, or she's just going to be another passing fad. Overall, the BET Awards was an excellent show. I very much enjoyed it. I don't have too many complaints about it. So, you know, just you know, glad that you know there's something that black people can gravitate to outside the Oscars, outside the Emmys, outside the Grammys. Because they screw us anyway. You know, Beyonce not getting album of the year is still the most disrespectful thing ever. Because Renaissance was everything you could want from a project. Which reminds me, I'm so nervous because Beyonce is coming to Philly uh, July 12th. I already got tickets. So, my anxiety is kicked in because I've never been in a um, stadium concert setting with hundreds of thousands of people. Like, I've been in shows where there's been like maybe five, maybe six thousand people. But... We're talking about 80,000, 90,000 people are going to be in this venue. And I hate driving to Philly anyway. Because I-95 scares the shit out of me. Like, literally, the way you, like, you can drive 95 and look down and see nothing but air and the end of your life. If you go over the edge. 
is 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 probably a stupid fear because hey, who's literally just gonna steer their car over the uh on off the ramp or whatever over the expressway? I mean, nobody's gonna do that shit. But I mean, accidents happen. You know, when people get you know shoved. You know, they get banged over, and it's like you know that's you know say goodbye. And you know, and I have a fear of heights anyway. It's so it's so funny because I probably lost out on a lot of dates because a lot of women from Philly and Jersey seem to swipe on me on Tinder and Bumble. It's like, yo, I just can't make it to Philly or Jersey. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I can't do it. The bridges and the highways freak me out. I'm sorry. But, you know, I'm very much looking forward to seeing Beyonce perform Renaissance Live July 12, even if I have to, you know, just put blinders on while I'm on 95 and then figure out a way to not be too much of an awkward weirdo about when I'm going to be surrounded by people from all walks of life that have come to see Beyonce perform this album, which should have won album of the year. But yeah, it was good. Overall, BT Woods was dope. It was a good time. You know, glad that we had it. You know, it was interesting that it was no host because the flow actually went better because, you know, the monologues weren't, you know, dry or awkward. It was just like, you know, okay, next presenter, next performer. Let's go. Let's get this show rolling. I think that may work long term with some corrections, but only time will tell. But overall, very good show. Very much enjoyed it. I wish I had um, DVR'd it. I may try to find another um, recording of it. Because BET runs shit back so much anyway. So next time it's on, I'll DVR it and just save it to watch again because I very much enjoyed it. As I often like to do, I like to explain my absences when I always promise you guys that I'm going to record something once a week. You know, talking about life challenges and different things of that nature. And the first half of 2023 ends at the end of this week, basically. You know, once we go from the end of June to the beginning of July, we'll be through 183 days, and that means 183 out of 365 means the first half of the year is done, the second half is underway. And the first half of 2023, if I may be frank, has simply kicked my ass from a professional standpoint and from a personal one. I think from a professional standpoint is the one that I want to talk about because that's the one that has chapped my ass the most. And I talked about this great job that I found back in March of 2022 with a friend of mine from college who would, wouldn't take no for an answer, said, you'll be great at this job. You'll, you'll be able to do this, that, and the other, and you'll be able to work from home. And it started out great. Then it all went to shit very quickly. And a lot of that is because, number one, I want to say something off the rip. I will never work for another startup again in my life. Can't do it. I'm sorry. Like this is the, honestly, this is the first time I've ever experienced this in my life where you're trying to figure out what somebody else wants when you don't know this person from Adam. And after a while, they just say, you know what? Well, you're not doing it. And it's like, you didn't give me any instructions or any help to go off of. And I think what bothers me even more than just being, you know, going from that to, you know, going back to grinding it out. And, I'm, and I don't have any real complaints about grinding it out. Because as it stands right now, I work for HBCUsports.com as a contributing writer. And that gives me a chance to get my name back out there as a journalist, as a reporter, as a writer. And that while I'm hopeful that another opportunity will come from it, this opportunity is fine because it's keeping a roof over my head. Even though it is literally hands and mouth at this point, which it wasn't before. But what bothers me the most is that the place that I no longer work for preached this thing about being your full authentic self, how, you know, it'll be like a family, it'll be like friends and all of that. And 
it was anything but. And my and and my thing is, I worked for shitty people, but they were shitty people off the rip. Like I haven't talked about you know my journalism memoir in a while, but I already have a name for it. I've already gotten through a few chapters. Gonna try and finish that out and get it up. Finish that up, excuse me, get it out in the beginning of fall, early stages of fall, middle of fall, whatever, before I really get busy with journalism. But you know. My first boss outside of Delaware in the newspaper realm was absolutely a racist. He hated black people. He thought he was better than everybody else because he came from the family of the county. And he was just a shitty person to be around. I, but I knew what it was with him. Like, there was no false pretenses of ever having a good working relationship with him. I just did the best I could until he decided one day, you know what, you got to go. And I went. And I went on with my life. But I still never forgot that. But at least I knew off the rip that he was a piece of shit. I knew off the rip that he was a terrible person. Going to a job where people pretend like they like you, where they like, where they pretend that they like what you do, but then all of a sudden they start treating you like garbage, and then all of a sudden they treat you, and then they kick you out the same way they did the person who you already knew was garbage. What can you do with that? There's not a lot you can do with that. And it's very disappointing, and I know, you know, people are like, you shouldn't talk about, you know, what happened with previous jobs and all of that. At this point in my life, I don't care. Okay. I'm, I'll be, Lord willing, I will be 42 years old in less than three months. My birthday is September 25th. If you want to buy me something, I will put out an Amazon list. Or if you just want to wish me a happy birthday in a special way, and if you are a woman who I find attractive, we can discuss, you know, different ways to make that happen. But, you know, I'm 42, I'm 41 going on 42 years old and I'm just tired of holding my tongue because I've held my tongue about everything in life for so long, personally, professionally, family, friends, all of it. And from a professional standpoint, I am tired because I have not had a job where I have felt comfortable as an adult. And I've been working job since I was 14 years old, you understand? I've worked in offices. I've worked as a cleaning person. I've done the journalism thing. I've been a peer tutor. I've been a, you know, a customer service worker, a, um, a office assistant. I've done so many jobs over the last 26, 27 years that I just don't care about, you know, this mythical professionalism that people keep wanting to, you know, hold over your head. Like, oh, it's bad form to talk about a job that you hated or a job that, you know, that didn't work out. Why is it? Why is that? You should be able to say, you know, people, because people don't care when they fire you. You know, that's always been the interesting thing to me. You're expected to give two weeks when you leave somewhere, but when you're fired, you got to go right then and there. And then they're quite sure, you know, they probably feel a way about me, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest and say that you, everybody that you think, you know, is in your corner is not. And everybody that is skinful and kinfolk. And I'm not talking about my friend because my friend got booted out before I did. And that's when I should have. And, and that's when I had a bad feeling then, because I think I think what it was, was that the, the CEO, the fake, the phony CEO, like she was absolutely this person was absolutely jealous that my friend was running this ship correctly. She got back on maternity leave. She started changing a bunch of shit. My friend got kicked out. I got kicked out after a month later. Again, I don't care about being professional anymore. I don't. 
that's that, and and that's something that I want to talk about. There's still there's still one story that I'm holding on to about professionalism and how and, and how that annoyed the hell out of me as from a journalistic standpoint. I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna talk. I'm keep saying that I'm gonna let this story go and just put it out there. I may I may save it for my memoir. I might do it here on a podcast. I have not decided yet, but I'm just so tired of people holding the cards and saying, "Oh, you need to be professional. You need to." you know, be, you know, cordial. You need to be the bigger person. I've been 300, 400 pounds my whole life. The bigger person is overrated. I've lost 125 pounds. I'm tired of being the bigger person. I want to be the, I, Michelle, Michelle Obama did everybody a disservice with that. When, we, when they go home, when they go low, we go high shit. We go low. I feel like dragging a motherfucker to hell. That's how I feel at this point in time. And I'm tired of people feeling like, you know, and, I shrunk and I shrunk myself in that job because I was number one. I was the only man. I was not the only black person, which probably hurts more than anything because it learned. It taught me once again that all skin folk ain't kin folk. I was the only man though. I was the only guy, and I tried everything to shrink and shrink myself and fit in, and it still wasn't good enough. Everything I did was just second guessed, and I got talked to so nasty by a couple of people at that job. The only reason I didn't let them have it because I knew as a black man. Big black man, me me reacting poorly would have just, you know, hastened everything. So I just tried to be as, you know, diligent and put my head down, do the work as I could, and it still wasn't good enough. And here I am struggling again. And, you know, it sucks. But I'm not going to sit here and hold this against, you know, all women and all black women. That's not my thing. That's not my way. You know, People do you wrong. Those are the people that do you wrong. But that's not representative of their entire phenotype. That's, you know, just my feeling. Like, so many people are walking around hurt, angry, bitter about an entire demographic of people because this person did them wrong. Like, you like you know, a lot of men will say, oh, I don't like, oh, I don't like black, you know, black men will say, oh, I don't like black girls because they made fun of me in school. Or I don't like ghetto girls because they, you know, they talk to me rudely or I don't like bougie girls because they just gold diggers or all you know they expect me to pay for everything and all of that. No. The people who do you wrong are the people that do you wrong. You can't hold it against an entire subset or an entire demographic, an entire phenotype. You just can't do that. Because it only hurts you in the long run. Like I granted, you know, the common denominator thing always happens. You know, like I think about it sometimes like okay maybe with that job with the racist I could have tried to be a little bit me a little more inviting, but you know what could I have done? You know he did, he didn't like me anyway, and he, I wasn't the person he hired. His father hired me, then his father quit, and then you know he took over the newspaper, and then he just started treating me like shit until three and a half years later. He said, "Okay, get out." And I could could have worked a little harder at this past job, maybe, but not everybody else was working hard. That's for damn sure. People were going on you know vacations and all of that shit, and I stayed home. Probably because it was the first time in so long that I had had a space to myself. And I'm sitting here in this apartment. You know, I do, you know, I do my podcast. I still do my writing. I still go out and do everything else with my basketball blog, First State Hoops Report. So it's not like, you know, I sit here all day. I mean, close enough, but, you know, I still, I enjoy this place. And I'm so afraid of losing it and trying to figure out where I'm going to go again. If I have to move from Delaware entirely or if I'm going to have to, you know, go back to, you know, rooming with people, which God, I never want to do again. Oh my God. 
if there's a way in the universe for me to keep this apartment, I just hope it comes through very shortly. I mean, I'm still, I've still been able to pay my rent. I'm not behind on my rent. I'm not behind on my electric bill or anything important. I have food in my fridge. I can still access the internet. You know, life isn't bad, but it still isn't what it was when I started that job because that job for all the bullshit, it paid very well. Now it's like, you know, back to square one again. And yes, I'm upset about it. Yes, I'm, you know, angry about it. And I'm tired of holding my tongue about things that anger and upset me because it only hurts when you keep things inside. Like it literally, like it literally can kill you. It literally can kill you. And I don't want to die. yet. I'm 41 going on 42. I still feel like I have a lot of life left to live and I have not lived it the way I wanted to up to this point. And I thought this job would be able to help me with that, but instead it just turned out to be another dead end. And just trying not to be upset about it, trying not to be bitter about it. It's hard, but at the same time, I owe it to myself to get it off my chest. So that's why things have been so stagnant with me for my creative juices, because I've literally just spent the last three or four months walking around this apartment, you know, in my feelings. Like I need to clean my bed. I need to clean my bedroom. I need to clean my bathroom. I need to clean my kitchen. I need to clean my living room. Like, you know, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's not dirty, filthy, nasty here, but you know, I got to put my clothes away. You know, I got to, you know, find, you know, find something to do with my dishes, you know, even though I do clean them up regularly as I use them. It's just, it's just been tough because depression will whoop your ass. And it really has whooped my ass since the end of February. I just haven't really said anything about it in full. Like I've alluded to it on previous podcasts, maybe on different platforms, social media, but I've really kept it to myself. And then it's like, you know what? Fuck that. I'm tired of keeping it to myself. I'm tired of holding in things that hurt me. I'm tired of holding in things that bother me. I'm tired of holding in things that I feel are wrong. And being able to speak up, it just, it's a frame, it's, it frees me. It, it, it's, a, it's a weight off my shoulders. And again, I'm not very happy with the way things ended, but at the same time, I know I had to push forward. But I am thankful to Ken Rashad for HB, from HBCU Sports, who I freelance for briefly in the fall. But then the News Journal swiped me up for Delaware State football coverage, which I don't think will happen again this year, which is fine because, you know, I'm cool with working with HBCU sports because I love covering black college sports. And Ken, I reached out to Ken after I got fired. I did. And he didn't blink. He said, yes, we could use you. Please come on board. And I've just been writing all sorts of black college news stories. I've been able to talk to young men and women who have fulfilled their dreams, you know, of winning conference championships. I've talked to coaches about different things. I've talked to, you know, people like needle movers. Like I've talked to, you know, Bubba McDowell. You may, you may not remember the name, but Bubba McDowell was an all pro safety. He used to play for the Houston Oilers back in the nineties. He's the head football coach of Prairie View A&M now. I've been, I mean, I've talked to, I mean, Bubba McDowell has my phone number and has texted me before, you know, different people. I mean, you know, it's like, I mean, not being you know, as a journalist, you can't be a groupie anyway. But it's like you know, you get and you talk to Howard, I talked to the Howard University um, girls basketball team about the uh, women's basketball team about the documentary that they're being featured in. It's a, it's a pleasure talking to those young ladies. You know, you just, I mean, I'm enjoying what I do now, but it's still I still you know have to find another way to bring in an extra source of income. Like I said, I'm not pressed right now, but I know that I have to find something else. And it, and if and if and if, and if, and if, I, and if I'm not and I'll be damned if it's not something that I want to do, because I'm tired of doing everything for somebody else and them getting paid and getting the glory and then being able to determine my my thing. Fuck that. That shit is dead. If I have to sink or swim 
with my preferences, with what I want to do. If I want to be a journalist, if I want to be a full-time writer, then I have to act like it. Then I have to pursue these avenues. I have to be hopeful and confident that these things will come through for me because I have the talent and the ability to be a journalist. And the last job I had was PR. Don't ask me to work PR ever again. Anybody that's listening to this, if you, I mean, granted, you know, this is again, thing about professionalism, but I don't give a fuck. Don't ask me to do anything about PR ever again. It's a dirty business and I hate it. I did. And I'm not going to, and I'm not going to walk it back. Either. But that's just basically where I've been. But at the same time, I know that I have to push forward. So this is, this podcast is helpful in me pushing forward. You know, so people can hear my voice, hear my thoughts and opinions on things, know that I can produce a podcast. I edit my own stuff. Shout out Audacity. I have a great theme song. That theme song, that beat you hear in the beginning, that is from my guy, Ryan Free Smith. Um, be sure to hit him up at Me We Free on Twitter. He uh, sells books. He sells merchandise. He is a writer like myself. And he does beat tapes. Like when I heard this beat on his beat, on his most recent beat tape, Honey Money, I said, yo, Ryan, I said, Free, I got to have this, man. When he was, he was like, what you like, which what can you afford? Because you know, money matters. This is back when I was making money. So I'm like, yeah, I can pay whatever you want. And he let me have it. And that's that great little, you know, upbeat little like you really are listening to a radio show when you when you when you listen to the get right to it with me. So shout out to Free for that great track, man. Greatly appreciate it. And you know, I'm just gonna keep on, man. I'm that's the only way I know how. People that know me from social media or my, you know, know me as a person, they always say I'm resilient, that I bounce back, that I don't give up. And that can be heavy, a heavy weight to carry. But at the same time, it's one that I don't mind carrying because I know life goes on. Like those people that, you know, have done me wrong from a professional, from a professional and personal standpoint, they don't care. They don't even remember me. I still may hold on to certain things that they've done, but they probably don't remember me. So I got to, if they, if they can move on after doing me dirty, then I got to move on after they did me dirty. So that's what we're going to do. Hopefully that means I can do this podcast more than once every six weeks or eight weeks or whatever the fuck it was. Whatever the case. Thank y'all for listening to this edition of Get Right To It. Greatly appreciate y'all as always. We Anchor is dead now. So if you want to search for this podcast, you will have to go to Spotify. You'll have to type Get Right To It into the search bar. That is G-E-T-W-R-I-T-E-T-O-I-T. And that's a sentence, of course, not you know all one word. It's Get Space Right space to space in. If you want to chat with me, I am an agreeable sort on the social media platforms. You can still find me on the Twitter machine, which hasn't collapsed as of yet, at CJ Writes and Things. That's C J W R I T E S letter N T H A N G S. If you want to kick, if you want to shoot me an idea, or you know, want to be a guest, or just you know have feedback about the podcast, you can email me at Chris Stevens Writes C H R I S S T E V E N S W R I T E S at gmail.com. Once again, thank y'all for listening to Get Right To It. And as always, till the next time we speak, y'all be good or be good at.